Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Well, continuing our Learning to Lead uh, series, this is actually part 11. And I'm entitling this, Where Are We Going? If you're leading people, where are you taking them? Where are you going? What is the direction that you're leading them in? When I used to travel up to the Napa area, or for a while I was going up to Roseville, Sacramento area, and then go to Napa, um, the first time Corrine and I went up to Napa, I remember we were going up to I-5, and we were a bit distracted with some things that were going on and wasn't paying attention. And, and the I-5 and the I-99 kind of come up and one heads towards Fresno and one heads, you know, up just towards the Napa area. And we weren't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention. So pretty soon we were heading towards Fresno. And eventually you can hook over and go up there. But it really was something that wasn't paying attention. I knew where I was going, but I wasn't being led the right way. I didn't have direction. Uh, when I was in Roseville doing some training, I got lost. I, he sent me to this one address. I had an address to get there. And then I lost the paperwork. And then I couldn't find my way back to the guy's house. And it took me about four hours, hi Connie, to get back to where this guy was. And I had to eventually kind of go back to where I knew I had come originally to find where I was. So eventually I got my first GPS because I needed help. I needed someone to lead me in an area where I did not know where I was going. And I think it's important that we have an understanding that if we are going to be leading people, then where are we taking? We're not just going up the I-99. We're not just wandering Roseville without a purpose, that we're actually going to a certain place. And so I want to kind of talk about that, where we're leading. I mean, if you were going, if someone, if I was going to ask you, um, as a follower of Christ, where are you leading people? What would you say? 
leading them to Christ, okay? And then what does that mean? Leading them to Christ, and what does that mean? And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Because I think that's what we would say, well, I'm leading them to God, but what is that supposed to then do? Where is Christ leading them from there? Because we're leading them to Christ, but then we're helping them go to where Christ wants them to go. Does that make sense? So we lead them to Christ, but then we help them to see what is the purpose of leading them to Christ. Here, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is Joe. See you guys later. Take off, right? That's not what we're doing. And so turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to be camping in the book of John a little bit. And we'll start at verse 31. And at this point, Jesus has really established himself as he's come out and he said, I am the light of the world. This is during uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, where everyone was kind of having these little lamps that are are lit. Um, There's a lot going on where he is really acknowledging himself as being the Messiah. This is really where it's coming to a head. And in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus connects truth and freedom. He connects knowing the truth to actually being free. And it's interesting their response because you would think, or I thought, you know, when they respond and say, we're offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anyone. I thought, well, well, there's those Egyptians. I remember that. And, you know, remember the Babylonians, you know, there was, you know, that whole Persian empire, now the Romans. But you see, that wasn't where their mind went. And when they said they are children of Abraham, they haven't been enslaved to anyone. They knew he was talking about something else. They knew he wasn't talking about the Roman Empire or that kind of enslavement. That he was actually talking about a freedom that is different than just having a imperial government over you. And and that's why they responded the way they did, because they thought through their nationality, their being children of Abraham, that the promise of freedom was theirs. They thought because of who they belonged to and what they knew, that that gave them freedom. And Jesus is going to push and really tell them it's not where you come from or what you know. It's really who you are. That's what determines your freedom. And so Jesus then kind of pushes back to them. Verse 34, Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin 
is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And so now Jesus pushes back. They say, we're children of Abraham. And he says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And now we have to kind of come up to this understanding of sin. You see, freedom is definitely a part of the gospel message. It's not just a promise for freedom from this world or the tyranny, and it's not just for freedom for life after death. It was a promise about freedom here and now. And free from sin is now something that he wants them to understand because he is telling them, basically, it doesn't matter that you know about Abraham. It doesn't matter that you know about the scripture. What matters is what you're doing. And what you're doing is enslaving you. And so he is coming to set them free from a mindset that has them bound to a lifestyle that is keeping them in sin. Now, for us, when I think of sin, a lot of times I'll think, okay, sin, you know, is doing something wrong. It's when you do something, you violate the law of God, and then God will bring judgment upon you. But that's a really small terminology for what sin is. I'd like to quote something, a theologian named Cornelius Plant. Tinga Jr., in his book, Engaging God's World, he puts it like this, sin is culpable disturbance of shalom. What is sin? It's culpable disturbance of shalom. Shalom, what is shalom? Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, wholeness, health, and blessing. Shalom is the harmony God intends for the world. Shalom is how God wants things to be. Shalom is peace with yourself, with your neighbor, with the earth, with God. Disturbance. Disturbance, things aren't how they're supposed to be, and we know that, right? They aren't how they're supposed to be, from environmental degradation, domestic violence, Wall Street corruption, uh, political corruption, uh, to how we disrespect each other, even in the smallest ways. Um, We know that the world isn't everything that it could and should be. And then culpable is guilt, responsibility, ownership. Culpable is any way you have contributed to the disturbance of shalom that we see all around us. And so sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and harmony God desires for the world and for us. You see, now it's a much larger definition. It's not just doing something wrong or failing to do something right. It's being out of line 
with the harmony of what God is doing. That God has an intention for peace and anytime we disrupt that peace, whether it's in the world around us or with one another, then it's sin. And so we can see, especially in Jesus's words, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who calls a brother a fool has committed murder in his heart. Anyone who looks at a woman and lusts at her committed adultery in his heart. He's trying to get to this understanding. You're disturbing the intention of God when you even start to think in this way. It's disrupting what God is wanting to do. And so when he tells them that they're slaves to sin, he is telling them that their way of life is a disruption to what God's intention is. Even though they could say, well, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, we are doing this, we're keeping the Sabbath, we're paying our tithes, we're doing this, we're doing the sacrifices, all the things they could list of what they are doing, they were blind to see that they were still slaves to sin. And and so... I think it's an important lesson for us who are people of faith to see what Jesus is talking about to people of faith so that we don't fall into that same kind of trap, so that we don't head up the I-99 when we're supposed to be going up the I-5. We don't take a wrong turn and disrupt what God's intention is and what God is wanting to do. So what would be an example of Jesus setting someone free? How how does it look when someone is set free? And so turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 16. And we'll kind of jump around. I mean, we know about this story, the woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, This is after Jesus has come to the well and and spoken to the woman and asked her for something to drink. We we know because she's there at noon that it's a time when people are normally not at the well, so she's probably a person who had a lot of shame. She was not comfortable being with the other women drawing water early in the morning or late in the evening, so she comes at noon, and then Jesus speaks to a Samaritan, which already is taboo. She's someone you wouldn't talk to, and he asks her for water. She says, you know, who are you, a Jew, speaking to me? And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to give you water, and I'd give you living water. And she goes, well, give me something. You don't have anything to drink with. Give me something to drink. And then it goes into a conversation about worship. You know, okay, you Jews, you know, say you're supposed to worship in the the temple. But we, you know, Samaritans, we say we're supposed to worship here. And Jesus says, true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then as this conversation starts to go and she says, well, I perceive that you're a prophet or I I think something's going on here. Give me to to this drink. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. What did Jesus just do? 
he just revealed her breaking of shalom. Her life is out of harmony with what God is wanting for her. She has been living from man to man to man, and she's living with a man now, and he's kind of uncovered this, not to put guilt on her, but to bring it to light. She says, I think you're a prophet. says, the hour is coming and now is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Father is speaking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Got my verses backwards. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. And she says, woman, I am he. This is the first person Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman who is living a life in seclusion because of all that she has done, meets the Messiah and the truth now sets her free. The truth of who she is met up against the truth of who he is brings freedom for her to be who she needs to be. See, he didn't just ignore what was going on in her life. He illuminated it but he also invited her into the relationship. You see, when Jesus says the truth will set you free, he's really pointing to himself when he says, I am the truth. He he is pointing to the fact that the Christ is the one who brings clarity of what God wants for you and for you and for me which is to bring us in harmony with what God's intention is all throughout humanity, throughout the world. He's trying to connect us into the heart, into the life that God has for us. And that's what Jesus does to this woman. He tells her what's going on and he reveals himself as the Messiah The disciples come and she says, I'm out of here because they probably threw her some looks. But she tells everyone, this man told me everything I did. Is this the Messiah? This person knows me and still cares about me. Is this who will set us free? If we're going to lead people Somewhere, we're leading them to the truth that sets them free. We're leading them to the one who knows them, knows what's in their lives, knows what's broken in their lives, and cares for them still, and wants to bring them back in harmony with what God is doing. And you see, what we tend to do, people who are religious, is we tend to label things instead of saying that we are all 
involved in this breaking of shalom in so many ways. Oh, we know we all sin, we, you know, but we like to name the sins, right? I want to call it this and I want to call it that, but it's so much more. It, it could be an attitude that I have towards my wife. It could be an attitude you have towards people or an indifference you have towards someone. It could be thinking of someone in a negative way that causes them to, to have animosity towards you. And that's breaking shalom. And if we're gonna lead people somewhere, we need to lead them to the place where they see that they are loved exactly as they are. And that we will love them as they are, not to leave them there, but to lead them on this journey so that they can walk in harmony with what God is doing throughout this world. And I think it's important for us to recognize that when we lead someone to Christ, we are leading them to the one who gives life. We are leading them to the one who holds truth, the truth of who God is and not only who God is, the truth of how God thinks about you. See, that's what set this woman free. Is that now she knew that God knows everything about her and cares for her still. That's setting someone free. And so when we lead people, we have to lead them to freedom. I was talking to someone recently about a situation that's troubling me that I need to speak with this person about that what they've done is angered me. And I just really see it as um, terrible. I just see it as a terrible thing. And I asked this person, just what do you think I should do? And their first response was, well, the first thing you should do is show your concern for this person. In other words, don't talk about how mad you are because of what's going on. Talk about why you're concerned about them, that they would be involved with something that's wrong. And it made all the difference in my attitude, right? Where first attitude I had is, man, I'm gonna set you straight, buddy, because I'm gonna tell you how it is and I want you to understand this is just wrong. And the second one is, why are you like this? What's going on that you would be involved with this? And I think that is more representative to what Christ is doing here with this woman. And I think that's, if we're gonna lead someone, if I'm gonna lead this person to help them in the area they're at, then I have to lead them to the truth that God knows where you're at and God cares about you, and God wants to move you from this place to a place where you are in harmony, at peace with who he is and what's going on and his will in the world. Does that make sense? And that's what we see Jesus doing. In John chapter 10, we have another example where Jesus gives a story and then he gives three illustrations of this story. Um, 
starting at verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So then again, he illuminates it. And we're only going to cover the first area of illumination. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep does not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is this abundant life? What is this life that is full that he's talking about? And who are these thieves and robbers? There were a lot of people claiming to have deliverance for the people of Israel. Some of them did it through violence. We're going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to make a, a political move, so to speak, to bring about the change that needs to happen. Some of them, like Herod, had just rule and power over the people and saw themselves kind of as this, you know, people who were elite and had this way of, I'm going to rule over you in this way. And Jesus even is talking about those who were Pharisees who were denying what he has done and what he is doing. Chapter nine, he has just healed a blind man and they're questioning how he could do this. And, you know, they're wondering what's going on. And Jesus is really pointing them, don't you see, I'm the one. And in this illustration, what Jesus says is the, the shepherd cares for the sheep. He's there for them. That gatekeeper sitting there between the, the fence where the sheep are and the wilderness is for protection. And it's allowed them to allowing them to live their lives fully allowing them to carry on and be who they were supposed to be completely, to enjoy being sheep and not worry about the wolves, not worry about falling off cliffs. He is taking care of them. When I'm training dogs that have anxiety, that are very anxious about things, anxiety is because there is a fear of something. There is fear of the people leaving because what's going to happen to me when you go? There's a fear of what these noises mean. That UPS truck is coming back again. What am I supposed to do when the doorbell rings? And so they get anxious because they don't see that someone's there in charge to take care of it. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm here to take care of you. You want to have the abundant life. You need to know that God is here for you. 
Everyone else is in it for themselves. Jesus says, I'm here for you. The next illustration goes on to talk about laying down his life. And so when we are leading people, what we are doing is leading them to the one who cares for them and wants them to live their life fully as who they were supposed to be and how God created them. That way they can truly be free. And so for us to be people who are going to call ourselves leaders, and this happens in a number of ways, you got to lead someone someplace. What I'm trying to do, what I want Genesis to do, is lead people to a true understanding of who God is and who they are. I want them to understand that they are created in the image of God. I want them to understand that we all are broken, that we have all caused this disharmony to shalom. And I want them to know that Christ can bring them to the intention of their identity again, that that is the revelation of God that God wants to see you not as broken, but as restored. And it's available for you, but you have to see the truth. You have to see who you are, and you have to know who God is and that he loves you. See, when we do not see our brokenness, we continue to be live broken lives. And and you've seen it in people. People who have been really hurt, what do they do? They hurt people. Why? Because it's their demeanor. It's what's going on in them. They've been abused, taken advantage of. At work, they've been belittled and they become a manager. What do they usually do? Start belittling. Start showing that kind of authority. Why? Because that's how they were treated, so they start treating people. But when they are aware of a different way and are aware of the wrong way, then they can move in that new way. And that's where we're leading people, to an understanding of who they are, first in identity, who they are in brokenness, and who they are in Christ who sets them free, who is the good shepherd who's come to give them life and to give them life abundant. Any questions or thoughts? No? Well, I mean, I think living life with people is what we do. I think interacting with people, you know, everyone has usually various spheres of life. They have their home life usually, they have a work life, and then they have another area of life that they're involved with, a bowling league, a dance group, um, you know, art class, um, church. I mean, all these things can be developed. And usually finding that other area where you can start to live life with that person is a place where you can begin uh, more communication without the kind of stress level. And so finding that area is an important thing to do.
Um, I think that's the hard thing is being able to engage. And I think what has happened a lot of times in the church, with me, I know it has, um, is church became my alternate life, and so I had no other life. You know, I had home, I had uh, work, and then I had church. And so work, I didn't really communicate, you know, because you're working. I mean, you communicate a little bit, but then um, I can either bring people to church or, you know, that's pretty much it. And then if people are like, well, I don't go to church, you know, but I do go bowling. Well, you know, sorry, I go to church instead of bowling. You know, maybe more people need to go bowling instead of to church, you know, sometimes. Um, but I think we can do both. I mean, I think we can go to church and I think we can go bowling too. Um, I think that we need to be a place where people do feel comfortable. Um, I mean, that's what I want Genesis to be. That's why this looks the way it does and not like a church. Um, you know, when I talk, that's why I use the language I do to try and make it something that people understand if they come in. It's not seeker-friendly so that I'm changing what we're saying. I'm just trying to communicate in a way that people understand. Um, that people speak. But I, I think going back to your question, how do you do that? You have to have friends. You have to develop that. I mean, I'm in the same situation. I have too many Christian friends. You know, all my friends are Christians. Um, just have a handful that I would say aren't, and I don't interact with them near as much. So I'm trying to develop things where I can go out and communicate and develop those relationships in other places. I've done it a little with dog training. You know, I've got a group of people who I interact with who are dog trainers. And, um, you know, that could be one avenue where I start to develop that relational aspect. You know, um, I've talked about my faith to people who I train with. You know, when they ask or they look, search me, they Google me, you know, and they, well, we Googled you and we saw you're a pastor. It's like, oh, you found me out, you know. Um, but that's just the open door of conversation. So, you know, you kind of take your life with you and then you help lead people to what life is about. I think one of the things that Jesus didn't do is he, he didn't sell himself. It wasn't like, okay, I'm Jesus, you need to believe in me, and then everything's going to be good, right? He helped people to see that God loves them, that God wants to forgive them, and God knows what's going on with you, and I'm here to take care of that. All right? So it wasn't a hard sell. It was kind of like a, a more of an appealing. Hey, listen, God cares about you. God loves you, and I'm here to connect you back to him. And, and I think that's what we want to do if we're going to lead people, you know, is try and not hard sell the gospel, but try and connect them to the life that God has. And Jesus is the clarity of that, you know, to me, he brings the clarity of who I am, the whole recognition of sin is a very important part, but not being identified with sin. That God doesn't see me as just a sinner. That God sees me as a child who's lost, as a sheep that's lost its way. And he'll leave the 99 to go find the one. God doesn't see me as you know, uh, some say, you know, um, just what is the word they use um, in sin? It's just like, you know, you're, you're without hope. 
and it's only God's grace that makes you have hope. No, God sees potential in everybody. He doesn't see us as, as, oh, you know, you're so dead that you will never have life unless I have it. No, he sees that seed, I think, in everyone, even though we are dead in our sin. In other words, we're broken from our life with God. It doesn't mean that our identity is gone. Any other thoughts? No? Questions? Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray that we would have clarity in who you are, first of all, and how you love and how we can lead people to you. Lord, help us to help others uh, see your plan for them. Help us to uh, not try to sell them something or make them do or stop doing something, but help them to begin this conversation with you uh, that you can breathe your life into them. Uh, Even as you did this Samaritan woman, even as you did to many of us, Lord, uh, we want it to, we want to see it take place to those around us in our family, uh, those around us in our places of work or the people we are in contact with. And so I pray you would open these avenues of conversation, Lord. And may we lead people, Father, to the truth that sets them free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.